Hello and welcome to 120 Outdoors, where the conservation-minded outdoors men and women explore all things hunting and fishing in the lands and waters that make it all happen. Join Chris DePaula and me, Don Klaus, as we discuss the outdoor world in our 120. But wherever you are, we think you just may find this fits your 120 too. Hi, folks. Welcome to 120 Outdoors, and we have a special show lined up for you today. We have one of our regular guests with us. We have the Buckeye Bow Hunter, better known as Buckeye Bow Hunter, Josh Grun. And Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me again, guys. I, it's pretty cool to be a regular on a <laughs> podcast. I appreciate it. You're as regular as it gets for our podcast, yeah, Josh, I, and we're happy I, to awesome. have you. I think you've been, uh, this is the third time, right, Don, that I could think of. I believe it is. Yeah, our third, third yeah, time we had yeah. you on as a guest, so... Um, so we just want to touch base and see how you're doing, how your summer has gone. Um, we're getting to that time of year here where uh, I know Don and I were out working on the farm today and uh, put a mock scrape up, and that's one of the things we want to talk to you a little bit about today. Um, but just checking in with you, see how you've been doing this summer and if you have anything exciting going on. Uh, yeah, uh, this summer, so it's probably been, um, it's been a pretty busy summer. It's probably been unfortunately one of the least amount of like uh you know summers where i've been in the woods the least amount unfortunately um but you know deer season in ohio is right around the corner i have got you know cameras out and stuff um so we got some bucks on on the target list coming up um i did get a chance to hunt in kentucky and and we can talk about that if you want a little bit but um sure uh uh, this fall, and I actually just debuted um, the first episode of White Taylor, which is on the Buckeye Bowhunter YouTube channel. So, um, you know, for all your listeners, be looking out for those upcoming episodes. I'll pretty much follow my entire season and all the ups and downs, and you know, I kind of just show it as it happens. So, um, uh, I'm excited for that to kind of get rolling and see where that goes. So. Oh, very good. I know uh, Don and I had a chance to, to take a look at your White Taylor, that first show you put out about your trip down to Kentucky. Um, yeah. How was it down there? Because I, I think I told you when we talked earlier last week, uh, friends of mine were out in Nebraska um, last week or two weeks ago for their opener out there. And it was like 102 degrees um, in the afternoon. So obviously uh, it was a tough trip for them. How, did you find something similar where you guys were in Kentucky there? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't quite that hot, but it was in the lower nineties, like wow. by noon every day. And, uh, I'll tell you what guys, it's, uh, it's a different thing. It's like you're down there and the bugs are, the spiders in Kentucky are insane. Like they're oh, out of control down there and I'm not a big fan of spiders. <laughs> so it was, uh, that was a little bit of adjustment, but once you get used to them, they weren't too bad, but it is just so weird, like sitting in a tree stand and it's like summertime, you know, and yeah. I, I did have a few, uh, encounters with uh, deer. I did have an opportunity at a little fork horn with, uh, um, some velvet on his antlers, you know, um, but, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I didn't, I didn't kill anything while I was down there, but I'll tell you what I did. Like, I'm not the biggest, or I'm not the, like a professional at like, uh, like all this out of state hunting, public land and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So this was like a huge learning experience for me too. Right. 
um, I got down there in the spring and turkey hunted. Um, and I, you know, kind of learned the lay of the, the property I was hunting down there. It's a big WMA. Um, but coming down to a piece of public and there's other hunters and, you know, kind of scouting and trying to figure it out in real time. Um, it was a, it was a big learning curve. Uh, so I, I feel like, um, I feel like if people have the opportunity to go out of state and hunt something like that, it's, it's so different, but like, it's definitely going to make you a way better hunter. If that makes sense. Like, I feel like if it makes sense, I feel like I learned more in five days down there than I learned in like an entire season on some of these farms I hunt that I've been hunting for like 20 years, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Cause you're like, I don't know, you get into like a, a rut almost where you're using cameras and cell cameras. Cause down there I didn't have any cameras and you're just reading sign and trying to figure it out mm-hmm. like that. And if you're hunting like 40, 50 acres private land, down the house how like how often are you really doing that if you got three or four cameras out there and you're just kind of going by you know making stand decisions or where you're sitting based on that camera information you tend to you know not get out in the woods as much as you should be doing or as much as you could be doing so it was interesting it was a little eye-opening um i'll definitely do it again i feel like i got a lot of good scouting done and stuff for the next time i'd have another opportunity in october to go down there so um we'll see how that goes but how does that how does that season run josh that that uh the velvet season in kentucky yeah so it it opened opening day was the second of september okay um and then i think their gun season is i'm not even sure i think their gun season's like mid-november or something um it's a little earlier than ours because i know they can gun hunt like while deer are still rutting, which by the time here in Ohio we're doing it, it's kind of over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they run clear into January, so okay. I'm not sure exactly what date it ends, but it's a pretty long archery season. Okay, so that's good. And how I know you were just we were talking about uh, you switching over to the saddle hunting. Did you take your saddle down there, and how was it? I did. Yeah, I, uh, that was a big jump for me this year. So if, if you know, any of your listeners, if they watch me or they, you know, or they don't, uh, I've always kind of been like a mobile stand guy um, and carrying an actual lock on or hang on tree stand in the woods with me. And, um, you know, the, the saddle hunting thing has gotten so big in the last few years. It's like, you, you know, if you're, if you're in the scene, it's almost like you can't get away from it. Like I got to see what it's all about, you know? <laughs> so no, that's true. I, I took the dive i bought a saddle this year um and i took it down there to kentucky with me and i hunted it i hunted out of it with almost every sit and uh i'll tell you what it was um the the big thing that i noticed is how much i've always kind of had a little bit of a fear of heights but how much like more comfortable i feel wearing that like I, I feel like when you're in, when I was in the saddle and you're attached to the tree like that, like I could do jumping jacks up there. Like, you know, yeah. usually in a tree stand, I have a little bit of a like hesitancy, like moving around or turn to like shoot a deer or something like that. Like I didn't feel that at all when I was in the saddle. Um, obviously it's a lot lighter, super lightweight. That was a really cool thing walking around the 
the hills in Kentucky, those are some big hills. So having yeah. a much lighter pack was pretty cool. Um, yeah, there was a, a little learning curve, I think, about setting it up because you're kind of, it's kind of opposite of a tree stand, right? Yeah. Um, so you're setting up a lot of times with the tree between you and where the deer are coming as opposed to like the other way around on a tree stand. So mm-hmm. kind of thinking through that when you're picking spots, staying your stand and stuff is uh, a little bit different, um, but it was comfortable. Um, I don't know if I would sit in it for like an all day rut hunt, that might be a little uncomfortable at a certain point, but like that three, four hour period, like no problem. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I told you um, before we got on and started recording here, I bought the same thing you did. So I'm, yeah. and I've been fooling around with it. Um, I'm really excited to try it. Um, you know, to spend some time hunting in it. And I'll do yeah. what you just suggested. I'll do three or four hours at a time. I'm not, I, I don't sit still long very, very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I have to move around, but I'm looking forward to, and I agree with you. I think uh, the little time I've been fooling around with it, you're attached to the tree. I mean, you could be attached two different places on the tree. Yep. You're, you're safer with that than you would be at a regular tree stand. I, I feel like that. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. like, um, you know, with the original, like the, the regular like harness that most people would wear where it attaches mm-hmm. on like your back. Mm-hmm. Like that's, what's always worried me. If like you fall out of a tree with that, like you're just kind of hanging there and it's like, you're not in a really good position to like get back onto the stand or to, yeah. you know, you're kind of hanging in a weird way where, this is like attached to your hip. So even if you like slip or fall out, you just like, you're all, you're not going to fall anywhere. No, you're just, right. you're right there still. So it's, it was kind of nice. Um, the only thing that's a little different getting used to is like, you know, the saddles, they always say, you know, shoot 360, you can shoot 360 degrees around the tree. Well, in my experience, that's a very limited, like, that's not always possible. It's very, you have to have a pretty perfect situation for that to happen. Um, depending on the tree, right. Yeah. And branches and all that stuff. But also, you know, you get that, that, what is it? 180 degrees or 270 degrees is pretty easy to get, but that other 90 degrees off of your, you know, if you're a right-handed bow shooter off of your right hand yeah. shoulder, yeah. it's pretty tough to get to. Um, I noticed. So, yeah, I noticed that too. But yeah, I, I, I still think I'm a better off with that. Um, especially like the way I, I like to move around. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I noticed that too. That and I'm, I'm right-handed, and, and you know, shooting to your it's like throwing a football. You know, it's hard to throw when you're running to your right or to your left. Exactly. You know, yeah. Over, yeah. So it's. Um, I don't know. That's something I'll have to work out, and hopefully, I don't have an issue with that this year. Play, playing around in your playing around in your saddle have you noticed do you like to like stand more do you like to because i got a pair of knee pads i, and I, I, I did, did buy the knee pads too yes i don't know if i'm sold on those i see a lot of guys buy like an actual pad mm-hmm. that straps to the tree mm-hmm. and use that instead mm-hmm. of the knee pads um but we'll see i'm still learning i'm still trying to figure out what best works for me um it was definitely like I said, the, the, my style of hunting, how mobile, how much I, I tend to move and bounce around. I really like, like my whole pack, even with all my camera gear weighs like, like nothing. It's like 12 or 13 pounds wow. or something. Oh, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about your camera business. Yeah. I mean, 
this is tailor-made not just for a for, lot of people yeah. but for you yeah for josh yeah <laughs> sure. yeah it's it's nice because even with like the, the i you know i use some of the lone wolf stands and stuff too um and they're some of the lightest in the industry even then like your pack can get 20 some pounds and yeah and you know a mile walk two mile walk like it gets pretty heavy after a while yeah you know? well i'm looking forward to see how you do with it this year and then uh uh, I hope I'm interested to see how I do too, obviously. Yeah, I am so, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it should be exciting. So, Well, anyway, Josh, we're happy to catch yeah. up with you and your, your channel and your hunting and all that. But I'm going to reel us back to our topic today. And sure. that, that is the topic of uh, mock scrapes. Now, uh, we know that's a this is a time of year to get thinking about such things. And it's a popular Absolutely. popular thing to, to do. But before we get to the mock scrapes, I want you to put on your biologist hat or your deer antlers, whichever uh, fits. <laughs> and I tell, got some deer antlers right here. I there can you go. On. Yeah, and tell us uh, the importance of the the scrape, the real one, uh, and and what that means to the deer. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll do my best. I'm not like a expert, but I, I mean, scrapes are. You know, they're kind of in the same category as rubs, but honestly, scrapes are more of like a like a year-round thing, I guess. It's essentially a way for bucks and does to communicate with each other. You know, different deer groups that don't hang out with each other, you know, bucks and does, you know, they'll see each other in passing at the main food source and stuff, but a lot of times they're not bedding near each other or interacting with each other all day long every day. So scrapes tend to be a really good um, location for communication, essentially deer, you know, they have their sense of smell, which is probably their, you know, that's the, the bane of our hunter of our us hunters existence. You know, they, their noses are unbelievable and it's like how humans live their lives through our eyes, right? Everything we do, like they, their, their nose is as important to them as our eyes are to us. Like they live their lives through their nose. And, you know, just for any listeners out there that, you know, don't even know what a scrape looks like. A scrape is essentially kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's a spot where a buck will walk up, um, clear the leaves off the ground, you know, make sure, uh, so there's like bare dirt um, and he'll scrape paw the ground. And then a lot of times or most of the time, there's going to be some sort of a licking branch, they call it. Um, and this licking branch is where, so like deer have all these different glands on their body and they'll have, they have glands, orbital glands where they secrete pheromones and scents and oils and all kinds of stuff. And that licking branch kind of, you know, it's like, you know, I got a cat and my cat walks around rubbing its face on everything all day long, you know, and it's their deer doing the same thing. That scent that they're marking on that licking branch is essentially identifying or telling other deer that come up to it like, hey, I'm here. This is my area or, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and this person's here and then other deer can tell by that scent who's talking to them, if that makes sense. So a lot of times you know, they'll rub that orbital gland on that licking branch. And then 
they'll urinate in the scrape. And if you've ever seen a deer urinate in a scrape, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll, especially during the rut, um, when bucks are all rutted up, they'll uh, literally urinate over their, they got two glands on the insides of their legs that produce, uh, you know, all kinds of smells. Their tarsal glands is what they're called. They'll urinate over their tarsal glands so that urine picks up that tarsal scent and deposits it in the scrape on the ground. So you got a visual aspect to it. You got this branch that's all beat up or void of bark from deer rubbing on it with their antlers, their forehead, their noses, and chewing on it. And then you have a spot on the ground, uh, you know, a big circle that's bare dirt that they pulled up and urinated in. It's essentially just a, a signpost. And contrary to popular belief, a lot of people – you know, get really hung up on scrapes uh, during the rut and when deer are, are uh, you know, mating or whatever. And they do definitely, like, the scrape production ramps up, you know, tenfold that time of year. But, I, you know, I run cameras usually all summer, and I'll have deer hitting scrapes in the spring, April, May, June, July, August. They use them all year long. Um, and a lot of times – other times of the year, like in the summer or spring, they won't be they won't be pawing the ground and like removing the leaves and urinating in it. But you'll get pictures of them working that licking branch. Yeah, yeah. so it may look like a dead old scrape, but it's hard to tell unless you have a camera on it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's really a you know a way for deer to communicate throughout the entire year. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I've actually noticed that we have a camera we put on a a scrape we've had on for over a year now and they do they do exactly that josh that during the summer we've noticed the bucks will come in they're not scraping the ground or anything like that or cleaning the ground they're licking that licking branch and rubbing their head on it and everything else and three hours later you'll see two does come and do the same thing come and hit yep. that licking branch so that somehow they're communicating or talking to each other through that licking branch um yep. i guess that's a bet that's the way the bucks keep track of the inventory of who's over there <laughs> Yeah, who's around? Yep. I guess. Yeah, we've seen. Yep, it. pretty much. Yep. It, during the rut, that's exactly what it is. They'll, you know, they'll have their specific scrapes that they go check all the time, and and the does when they, you know, are walking by a scrape, they'll urinate in it or they'll rub their face on it. Well, that's a way for a buck to keep track of who's around, what does are around, what does are coming into estrus or close to estrus, or what does are in estrus. Um, so it's a it's a good place to hunt um, if you want to uh, run into a, a decent buck, depending on where the scrape is or what kind of scrape. But um, yeah, definitely definitely something as a hunter to pay attention to for sure. Yeah, now Josh, we, that's what we wanted to talk to about. Josh, or Don mentioned earlier about the mock scrapes. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the scrapes that are the, the the natural ones. Do you do you try to enhance those in any way? Or you just kind of um, leave them leave them as is. Yeah, if I find if I find like a good like natural scrape, like a like a community scrape, something that I want to hunt over, mm -hmm. I'm not going to touch it. I'm usually going to try to stay as far away from it as possible. You know, if if I got a if I got a tree, I want to hang a stand in and hunt over it or something like that. I'll usually 
make sure I'm not accessing and walking past it or walking over it, or I'm accessing from a spot where I know deer aren't going to be crossing because I just want to stay away from it as much as possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, um, as far as mock scrapes, because um, I don't, I'm, as I mentioned in the opening, Don and I did one today. Yeah. And um, I just want to touch base. Can you kind of take us through the mock scrapes and how you use them? And uh, for our listeners, and, and have you had success with them and so forth, you know? And, and the ingredients. Yeah, that, the ingredients yeah. and all that stuff. So kind of take us through what you're looking for um, with mock scrapes. Yeah, sure. Um, so mock scrapes, obviously, are just a fake scrape. Um, and, like, I, I the, the main thing that I'm looking for when, like, if I'm going out, if I'm going out tomorrow morning to – to make a new mock scrape or something, um, you really need a rhyme or reason for it. You know, you can't just walk out into the woods and just put a scrape anywhere. You know, um, I'm looking for a place that I would hunt, even if I didn't have a scrape there, right? Like a good creek crossing, some kind of edge or like transition zone close to bedding, uh, up against a swamp or something, or um, somewhere where those bucks spend a lot of time. So usually that's going to be close or in some kind of cover. Um, a scrape, a mock scrape is not going to like draw a deer in to somewhere like a food plot or a pile of corn would, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. essentially the way I look at it is a supplemental piece to a setup. Um, you know, if it's, a lot of times it's just something that, you know, if I'm hunting in thick cover or in a spot where, you know, a buck might be moving through and you just need something to get him to stop right there for a shot or something like that. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of my thought process. Like it's, it's not the end all be all, but it's, it's a really good addition to a already good spot. If that makes sense. Um, like I said, close to water, close to bedding, close to thick cover, um, you know, right off of a really good deer trail, um, somewhere where those bucks are going to feel comfortable during the daytime. You know, um, I wouldn't, I'm not making mock scrapes as, as contrary to what you see on TV, you know, out in the middle of your big food plot or something like that. It's just, you know, you'll get a lot of nighttime pictures, but it's not something that you're going to if that's what you're looking for, if you're just looking for inventory or to get photos of deer and figure out who's living on your property, that's probably a good option. But if you're looking to make a mock scrape that you want to, you know, harvest a deer over, um, definitely close to bedding, close to thick cover. Um, you know, the other thing I'm looking for is like, like I said, close to a deer trail, something so that I don't want to put it on the deer trail. Um, just because you could influence how those deer are moving through there or something like that. But, you know, five, 10 foot off the deer trail, something that's going to catch their eye when they're moving through. Um, and then the, the way I usually make them, um, you know, I'll have some, some wire and I'll have, I'll take a, a saw with me, like a hand saw and I'll have um, like maybe a little shovel or, uh, my hand saw actually works pretty good as a little shovel, but 
what I'll do is usually I'm, I'm a big believer in the grapevines. Um, I like grapevines a lot. I've used branches like we were talking before you were saying how you were using, you were using an apple branch for yours. Yeah. An apple tree branch. Yeah. Yeah. This which, year. Yeah. Any kind of there. So you'll find like, if you pay attention to, there are certain types of trees that deer love to scrape on, whether it's because, you know, it tastes good to them. Or I think a lot of it has to do with if the tree is like porous or holds on to their scent for a good amount of time. Um, I think grapevines do a really good job of that. They have that real fibrous kind of bark to them that I mean, you can imagine if you're, if you're going to like rub some scent on it, it's going to hold on to it. It's going to get deep into that bark and like stay there for a while where like a maple tree branch is super smooth. You know, the first time it rains, you know, I'm not sure if that's exactly how it works, but I could just imagine it washing right off if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that sounds to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and what I what I usually do is I'll cut a grapevine. I'll cut it about I don't know six seven foot long, and I'll try to find you know a location. A lot of times it's harder than you think finding a branch that kind of comes out over the exact location you want your scrape to be on, and that can be the hardest part about it is walking around the woods looking for a branch for thirty minutes and like you can't find one because you know what tree you want to put your stand in. Um, but if you can find a good branch, something heavy, something that's not going to droop, um, I made the mistake of hanging the grapevine on like branches that were too small, and I come back in two months and the branch snapped or it's sagged down so far that the grapevine's touching the ground. Um, so you want a real hardy branch, something that um, is going to kind of hold the weight of the grapevine. But I'll wrap the wire around the tip of the grapevine. The one tip, and then I'll, like, you know, depending on what you got at your disposal, sometimes I'll try to throw the grapevine over the branch, or I'll have to tie, a, like, a big washer or something and throw it over the branch with a rope, and then you can pull it up and take the wire and wire it to the branch, and that way it's, like, secure for a while. I've, I've tried rope, and I've tried twine before, and it ends up just breaking after a season or two. Um and the good thing about, you know, the difference between using like branches or using a grapevine that I've found is the grapevines are like good for like three years usually. I usually get three seasons out of them. And that's really cool because that's three years of just deer scent and smell and all kinds of crap built into that. You know what I mean? And yeah. it kind of becomes a like like it's just like that's where all the deer go um a pattern uh, the reliable yeah yeah um so once i hang it up i'll get it to a, a point where you know i want that grapevine to go up pretty high so the wires and stuff are kind of out of the deer's vision and then i'll cut the bottom of the grapevine like right around my belly button um maybe a little higher just to account for any droop of the branches um, I also have made the mistake before too, making it in the summer. And then when the leaves fall off, the branches go up and now the grapevine is out of reach of the deer. So that's another thing to keep in mind too. Um, but, uh, where was I going with this? The, the other thing I will note too, is that that's what I was saying about how they tend to last a little longer than a branch or whatever mm -hmm. is, 
you know, even I'm thinking of a, a specific mock scrape that I have right now. Um, I probably get, I don't know, 30 pictures of deer a week on this mock scrape. Um, because it's been, I've, I've been running the same scrape for five or six years and I don't really touch it anymore. And it's just, be, it's like probably the best example of a scrape that the deer have just, it's just become a part of their lives on this property and they use it like they made it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, cause a lot of times you'll make them and it just, they don't, it doesn't take and it doesn't work. And you know, that's no reason to get discouraged. Just, you know, find another spot, try it again. But, um, cause they, they all aren't slam dunks, but when that, you know, two, three years down the road, when that grapevine starts to rot and kind of break apart, you don't have to, like take it down. I still, I always leave it there. I just add another grapevine to it. So this specific mock scrape has like three grapevines <laughs> <laughs> and two of them are old and rotten, but they still like, you know, yeah. have that deer smell. Like if you walk up to them and put your nose to it, it smells like, smells like deer, you know what I yeah. mean? So yeah, that's, um, you're not starting from scratch with a real new one, but it's so cool. Once you, once you hang one, all it takes is like one deer to walk by because they, I mean, as much as they rely on their nose, they are really visual too. And they see that, they see that hanging, they smell that fresh cut or whatever it is. All it takes, you'll get on camera, one deer rubbing their face on it. And then it just becomes like a parade, you know? Um, and it's pretty cool to watch them take over that like that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a, and I'll tell you, we had uh, last year we did a mock scrape, um, and we used a grapevine, and it was funny because I had a camera set on that, and you could see them using it early in the season during the rut, um, and it was funny because the does would hit it, the bucks would hit it, and matter of fact, the buck I shot was hitting it um, about oh, a week, awesome. yeah, about a week before, but what happened to it? Um, it was in a low lying area, and it got it got wet. Um, not the licking branch. The ground is was real um, saturated and muddy, and we That's no- a good point, yeah. yeah we noticed that they they basically stopped using it. Like, yep, that's like they, a good point. Like they walked around it. Now I have a camera on that right now. We still left it hanging there, and they're hitting it now. The does are, and there's some bucks in velvet hitting it as we speak. But as soon as it gets wet, we've noticed they kind of avoid that. I don't. Well, why do you think they do that, Josh? Well, I mean, you know, it, it probably because they know that any scent that they leave on the ground, like they have glands in their in their feet too, right? So when they're pawing the ground and they're digging that up, they're leaving that smell in there too. Um, and if they know that, you know, if it's just covered in water, they probably have some sort of sense that that's not going to be work yeah. for them what they want to do. They're but that's a really time. good point. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point, though. Like, I, I say you kind of want to have your scrapes close to, like, a water source, but, like, you don't want them in the water or in an area that gets flooded all the time, right? Yeah, you want yeah. it to be in kind of well-drained soil, like like some kind of knob, um, you know, up above where the water line will come to. Um, I have made scrapes where you, you dig them out or whatever, and it just creates a, a puddle every time it rains yeah, or something like yeah. that. So. Yeah, you got to be careful with that. Okay. But um, some something that in a, in a spot that you know is going to drain pretty well usually is is the best case. But um, I didn't say though, you know, when it comes to the grapevine, you want something with a little heft 
right? Because it's hanging there, and and they, I, I feel like they want to feel that like weight, like they're pushing against something on their face when they're leaving that scent. Okay. And if you have, if you have like a little, you know, one inch thick grapevine that's just whipping around in the wind, like you know, they like they're probably not going to be able to put that pressure on it as good to get the scent on there. So something that's you know two, three, three and a half inches thick in diameter okay. is what I've had the best results with. Yeah. Well, that's pretty substantial. That, that makes sense. And yeah. that's about what we're using yeah. on that one. Yeah. Yeah. That one scrape. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned a uh, um, little higher areas um, that, that a little bit out of the water because the natural scrapes we found on the, on the property we're hunting, that's where we found them. They were in those little areas. They were just little knobs. They were a little higher than the surrounding terrain that didn't hold water. Yep. And th those are the ones. So, um, when we did, and I, I mentioned earlier that we did the mock scrape where Don and I put it today, we made sure it was in that little higher knob. How about it, Don? Yep, it's about six inches taller yeah. than the adjacent. Yeah, so. it's around there. So we're hoping um, as they cross this this uh, into this area to, to feed, we're hoping they hit that scrape and it'll be what they're looking for. Um, I think it'll be, be pretty, cool. yeah, I think it'll be pretty cool. We'll be able yeah. to re report back yeah, later I mean, on that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is that up next to like a, a pretty thick area where you know, like deer bed? Yeah. Consistently? Oh yeah, you can't even see in here. That's how thick no, that's it is. Awesome. Yeah. So we're, we're and I know there's it's a deer heavy deer trail nearby, right near it. Um, as they're crossing over into the farmer's property next door to get into his soybean and corn over there. So. Okay. Very yeah, cool. I, I think they will stop and hit it. So. Um, you know, one of the other questions that, that I had too, as far as let's say that you want to do a scrape and, and this show we're going to do, we're doing tonight is for October. Is it too late to put a mock scrape up in October, Josh, or can you do it before the rut? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, like if you were, if you wanted to put a mock scrape up, um, I'd probably do it soon. Uh, you know, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it to be any good to you if you did it in the middle October or, um, you know, the middle of November. Cause at that point, those bucks, they, they got their scrapes, they got their, their, uh, yeah, I just worry so much about like scent that you're leaving down yeah. on the ground. Yeah. Right. So if you're going into an area and you're putting a, and you're putting a mock scrape in, in November, planning on like killing a deer over it, like, I just, mm, I don't know. I mean, it can work. I'm sure, I'm sure people have made it happen. Um, I really think the best way to go about it is the earlier, the better. Okay. Like to be honest, I like putting in my mock scrapes in like June or July. Okay. Um, like well into the summer and, you know, just let it ride and, and let them figure it out. And it's in, you're going, you're basing, you know, where you're putting these mock scrapes based on like the year before, you know, you're getting out mm -hmm. scouting in February or whatever. And you're like, man, this would be a really good spot. Um, some of the, some of the spots that, you know, that's a, that's a really hard thing to, to kind of figure out honestly is where like, cause you guys, the scrape you made today, it may seem like it's in a perfect spot, but for some reason, they just don't kind of take to it, you know. Yeah. And it's there's it's hard to figure out what rhyme or reason there is to what what scrapes become like fixtures in that deer in that specific deer community. Um, 
and the ones that I found are like, like I said, spots that like are just awesome anyways. Like the one, the other one I'm thinking about, I have a mock scrape I've been running for a long time. It's a really big clear cut and it's just super thick and overgrown. It's about, I don't know, the clear cut's probably like five or six years old at this point. And there's one like old four wheeler path that I kind of keep maintained that cuts up through the entire, like the middle or straight down the middle of the whole clear cut. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a big mock scrape in the middle of that path, kind of in the middle of that entire bedding area. And that thing has, that gets hit every day by deer, but it's because that's like, you know, they're walking that path, they stop and they smell it. And it's just like the most natural place for all them deer to walk. It's very obvious. It catches their eye, but, um, it's tough. You know, you just got to play with it and try them out. I've, I got hundreds of mock scrapes out there that never <laughs> became any good to me. And, you know, just grapevines hanging in the trees. So, you know, it's definitely a, a trial and error thing, but just woods decorations. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. I think that's a great point though, Josh, because we've noticed that too. Some of the scrapes we've put up have had activity. Some of them, I mean, they'll look at, you can see them on a the camera, they'll look at it and just walk right by. That's for whatever reason, it just doesn't hit. Um, yeah. I think that's a great point. You just got to keep trying. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's how natural scrapes are too. Cause like, you know, um, I think we were going to talk a little bit about like satellite scrapes yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a really important thing because, you know, even when it comes to your mock scrapes, right? Because every scrape is not created equal. Like you, you guys know, you go out in November, on November 1st and there's like scrapes everywhere. Like yeah. there's 15 of them down every logging road, every 50 feet, you know, like, yeah. How do you even know which ones to hunt? Um, and in my opinion, I think like 90% of the scrapes you run into are like just one and dones. Like that buck was traveling. He got riled up for some reason. There was some does standing there that he was pushing around or something. And he just makes a scrape out of frustration or he ran into another buck and made a scrape, you know, to kind of, you know, warn him or whatever. Um, and then they probably don't go back to it. Um, the, the, the scrapes that are, again, I probably made this point already that I'm going to want to hunt over are those kind of community scrapes or what I call them. Like the, they're usually big. They're the size of a car hood. They're in the middle of like a nasty swamp or jungle or clear cut um, you know, putting a stand up is usually impossible because yep, they know yep. it, you know, um, but those are the scrapes. They're used year, year round by every deer in the area goes through there and hits that scrape, you know, and, and that's the best way to do it is to, if, if you're lucky enough to find scrapes like that, which they, they're hard to come by, especially if you're, you know, hunting Northeastern Ohio and, you only got 80 acres to hunt. Like, good luck ever finding one of those. You know what I mean? But if right, you're lucky right. to find one, it's so important to study that and why that's there and try to figure that out. And then you can replicate that with your mock scrapes because, like I said, it's so important. You can't just go out there willy-nilly and, you know, 
hang your make a scrape on the side of a bean field next to your ladder stand you're it's probably not gonna you know be fruitful for you right but right. you know josh you mentioned earlier about location where you try to put these mock scrapes how about a, a rub line um an area that has a bunch of rubs would that you'd be more prone to put a mock scrape in that area or would you avoid that you know i never really thought about that i it just kind of reminded me of a specific situation now, there's um uh, for anybody who watches my show, the Frank farm, I hunt a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a mock scrape I made two years ago in this little finger of woods where it seems like every year there's like a, a really good mature buck that's like bedding out at this knob and, uh, uses that like finger of woods as like a, a transition area and it will light up with rubs, um, you know, early October. It's like almost every year, like clockwork. And I have put a scrape there, a mock scrape, and I've kind of freshened it up every year since then. And I have just never gotten deer to hit that. Huh. Um, last year, I think they I, they started hitting it, and I was like, oh, it might they might be starting to take over it. And then they just quit. So, you know, I don't know. It's um, He may have his rubs there, and he doesn't need a scrape. I don't know. Yeah. You know? But well, Josh, we've we've talked about a lot of the ingredients that make a scrape, the location, the materials, yeah. whatnot, and we also know that all these scent companies would like to sell us a million dollars worth of scent. Is does that factor into any of the way you would put a a scrape, a, a mock scrape together? Um, you know, to each his own. I I don't use any kind of um scents and stuff or any kind of you know tinks or anything like that um even into the rut i kind of stay away from that stuff um i would rather you know like i said have it in a really good location and let that first deer come in and touch his nose to it and lay his scent down and to me that's you know a hundred times better than some kind of store-bought scent or whatever um, will store-bought scent work? And I mean, they, they sell stuff like scrape starter and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it depends on where you're at. Um, higher pressured areas, you know, I, I mean, I, I tend to think that a deer's sense of smell is good enough to where, um, you know, they kind of know something's up with that stuff. Cause a lot of those are synthetic and a lot of times, even if you're buying like Code Blue or whatever, not to name any brands or whatever, it's supposed to be like real deer urine. But yeah, like that's got to be years old. Like, and I'm thinking that those, you know, a mature buck could probably smell any preservatives or anything in it, which right. probably, you know, I just tend to stay away from it. Um, not that it couldn't work. I'm sure it's worked for a bunch of people, but um, in my opinion, I think. Uh, you're better off just letting nature take its course and, and do its thing. That's yeah. the opinion we want. That's, that's, I agree with that. Um, yeah. he, here's a crazy one. Uh, my brother-in-law, they, he has a farm down in Columbiana County, and I've been with him before. And I know, Don, you know what I'm going to ask. Uh, so I'm with my brother-in-law. He makes the scrape. And, of course, he, he pees in it. 
I'm like, what, what, yeah. the, what the hell are you doing? He's like, oh, this works. I said, well, uh, listen, I'm not doing that. Um, how, how about you, Josh? Are you known to be peeing in the scrapes? <laughs> I've tried. I've tried it before. I'll be honest. And you know, the the there's two camps, right? The one camp says that, well, you know, after a while, pee breaks down and it's all ammonia. It doesn't matter what animal pees it out or whatever. Um, which I don't know how much scientific validity there is to that, but in my opinion, like when I, it's morning and I'm, you know, going to the bathroom and I can smell coffee in my urine, you know, it's I like, know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the deer can smell that too. So, yeah. uh, let's, yeah, I, I probably would tend to stay away from it. He swears by it, you know, and he does kill deer every year. Um, I told him it's just because he's down there in Columbia in a county drinking that water. I don't know what, what, <laughs> yeah, it, right. is, what it is. Well, so. I mean, and it could be, you know, I don't know how long that lasts. And I don't know. First time it rains, uh, you know, that smell's probably gone and it doesn't bother him, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go making a mock scrape and on October 25th and pee in it. I, I don't think that's a good idea. I agree with you. That's <laughs> yeah. a really bad idea. Yeah, we yeah. we didn't do that today. No, uh, no. Good. Good. Don made sure I didn't pee on anything. He's like, get out of here if you're peeing. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, that's one thing I try to do, though. Um, speaking of, like, scents and stuff is um, if I can, I'll make sure I'm wearing rubber boots. You know, a lot of times when I'm making mock scrape, it's, scrapes, it's like – hot or whatever but if i'm making one and i've been known to make mock scrapes this time of year or even later um i'm going to try to pay attention to my scent control for the most part wear gloves try not to touch anything if i'm putting uh like a branch up i'm at least trying not to touch like the tips of the branches where i think the deer are going to be rubbing you know what i mean i'm trying to wear rubber boots i'm trying to you know, get in and out as quick as possible. And we did that today. Um, yeah, we did that today. Yeah. We're doing it a big one. Like, um, what, like two or three days ago, uh, I actually got out in the woods, went and moved a couple cameras and hung a couple more cameras. And usually this time of year, I don't like to be doing that, but it was raining all day and days like that. Um, you know, if you could go in and make a mock scrape during a rainstorm, as long as it's not lightning out, um, and you got a good wind, you know, I made sure that the cameras I was going in to check, I had the wind in my face. I wasn't, you know, going to bump any deer out of there before deer season opens. So um, that's another pretty key thing, I think, is just trying to tread as lightly as possible and keep your impact down as much as possible. Because I think a lot of people, you know, really don't see the impact you know, they may not have spooked any deer or heard any deer snort or saw a deer take off, but like, even though you were in there and you got out of there and no deer maybe saw you, like how many deer, like as soon as it gets dark, walks over one of your trails and smells that you were in there. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're on to you. They know they're being hunted or whatever. Yeah. But just another thing to think about. Yep. All, all right. right. Well, hey, we've talked about the the scrapes the reels the fakes uh putting it together what about the hunting any tricks to to hunting a scrape uh that you might want to add uh yeah sure so um hunting scrapes i've i i'll you know be honest i've never killed a deer over a scrape um the closest i came was two years ago i had already killed a buck 
and I went in and hunted over a scrape and I got this video on YouTube. I had this giant eight pointer come in and work this scrape at 20 yards. It's one of the mock scrapes I made. I could have drilled him. It was like one of the coolest encounters ever. I got the whole thing on film, wow. but uh, that's like the one time it like worked like it should. And I had already used my buck tag. So <laughs> oh, like, come on, you know, but um, I have, uh, you know, I've definitely had opportunities that, you know, you get, I've definitely had a lot of opportunities at like younger deer, um, you know, three-year-old bucks hitting scrapes and stuff like that. That's pretty common. Um, but you know, if I were to give any advice, like the biggest thing about scrape hunting, um, to me is, is like the timing, the time of the year. Right. And, and even me, I'm guilty of it where you get excited and, you got a buck hitting a scrape at, you know, 758, it's gray light and you go in there and you don't see him and you're like, what happened? And then you don't get any pictures of him anymore. It's because he's on to you. Making sure that um, if you're going to go in targeting an actual scrape, I usually like to wait for some kind of a cold front to come through. Um, I want to make sure those deer are up on their feet. He's actually going to be at that scrape during daylight. That's another big reason to make sure we're, hunting scrapes that are really close or tight to cover so that deer is comfortable enough to leave and or whatever and move around during the daylight um but that usually that like october like 15th through like halloween is like the time because the way bucks usually use scrapes during the rut um you know they they're they're scraping activity i guess you could say increases like exponentially as the rut nears and every day like if you could think of like the day in the life of a buck he's getting up out of his bed um and this time of year that could be at you know nine o'clock p.m goes to a scrape scrapes it and goes out and feeds and then he may check it on the way back or something like that well, the closer we get to the rut, the more scrapes they're laying down, the more scrapes they want to go check every day. Um, and if you get a cold front coming through, they might be on their feet later. So that's a good time to check them uh, or to catch a buck moving through. But um, where was I going with this? I guess the, the my favorite time to hunt them, though, is like that mid October or that late October timeframe, because they haven't, the does haven't come into estrus yet. So they haven't like started the whole real rutting thing. Mm -hmm. They're not cruising yet. That's all they're really focusing on is laying down sign. That's when you start seeing rubs really pop up and marking their territory and kind of getting ready or ramping up for the rut, letting those does know, Hey, I'm here. So that's going to be your best time. And then, you know, and others, I say this a lot, but contrary to prop, popular belief, hunting scrapes in like November, mid-November, um, a lot of times, I don't know if you guys noticed, but scrape activity kind of like stops. Yeah. Like they're not really doing that anymore. They're more focused on chasing does, breeding does, and whatnot. And then a lot of times you'll have another kind of window leading up to that like second rut or that post rut um, where you'll see sometimes in December we'll have a snow 
and you'll go out in the woods and you're like, man, look at all these scrapes. What's going on? Is the rut still happening? Well, that's that, that's that second ramp up to that second rut. And those does that didn't get bred in the first rut are going to, you know, come into estrus again. So, um, that's usually when I'll focus on scrape hunting. Uh, a lot, sometimes you can, you know, if you have the right Intel and you're getting a buck hitting a scrape, you know, that early October, like opening weekend sort of time frame. Um, I had a really good buck maybe like three or four years ago that I was getting pictures in the daylight leading up to like the week before deer season hitting a scrape. And, um, you know, I went in after him, never saw him and I actually never saw him again. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a, that's kind of a little tough time of the year to do it because you got to make sure you have everything right or, yeah, yeah. you know, but but yeah, I, I, you know, a big thing I hear a lot too is, and I, I have definitely had this experience where if you're hunting over a scrape, a lot of times those mature bucks, those, you know, we're talking four five, six year olds, not a three year, not a two year old. Those older bucks will actually, they won't actually come into the scrape. They'll just come in downwind of the scrape. Mm -hmm. So if you're set up, you know, 20 yards from that scrape, I've definitely had bucks come in 20, 30 yards downwind of me and bust me. And, you know, they were probably just working downwind of that scrape because, you know, they're just sent checking it from yeah, yeah. down here, you know, from thick cover or whatever. So if you do have a really beat up scrape that's super fresh and getting hit really hard and it's kind of out of the cover a little bit, maybe, you know, 40, 50 yards off of that transition line, I would probably approach that as like I would hunt that transition line and not try to go for a shot at the scrape, but try to go for a shot on that travel corridor where you'd think that big buck would walk downwind of it, you know. Yeah, that's a but, great point. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point. So yeah. I like that uh, when you mentioned too about the weather change. I think um, yeah. I really think that that's a great point because I, I know early in my career I was I was so eager I was as soon as I'd start seeing deer on trail cam or it was it was that time of year middle of October I was out there fooling around messing everything up you know yeah um, and you know I can sit here and talk about it but I do the same thing still to this day you know you just yeah. get so yeah. pumped about it, you're like oh maybe this time it'll work you yeah. know <laughs> but <laughs> that's <it's>, right <laughs> so yeah you definitely it's it's tough. And you hear people talk about it, and I've definitely seen that where the more, like, hunt smarter, not harder, right, is yeah. what they say. So yeah. the, the, the smarter you are about when you go hunting and going in there when everything's lined up, whatever, you know, if you believe in the moon, you know, the wind's right, the thermals are right, the time of the year, the weather, the temperature, all that, and, like, you know, uh, like a planned attack, I guess you would say is when you're going to have the most luck as opposed to just like, you know, throwing hunts at a spot like a shotgun because, you know, I, I used to have this thought like time kills deer. And I think it does during the rut, you know, if it's November 1st, like you better just put your butt in a stand and just wait because the longer you're in a tree stand, the higher your odds go up that you're going to have an opportunity at a deer. But any other time of the year, 
I really think it's more about just that chess game being really strategic and being disciplined about when you're going to allow yourself to, you know, go in for that, like that kill hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And everybody wants to hunt all the time and I do, but I have, you know, properties that, you know, I don't have any big bucks. I'm just going to go out and try and kill a doe tonight, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So I get to itch that itch. But if I'm going in after like a specific big mature target buck or something like that, um, I've definitely been a lot more disciplined over the years of like picking and choosing when I'm going to do that. So it makes sense. Hey, we're all into the smart hunting. Uh, we want to be smarter. We want our listeners to be smarter. That's why we have you today, Josh. So. That's right. That's right, <laughs> well, Josh. I no, I, I, appreciate I, I, I appreciate your time here, uh, Josh. Uh, I know you got, got about an hour here. You gave us already, and we do appreciate it. Um, I know we could talk scrapes and mock scrapes and deer hunting for the next three days. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I definitely, I've learned a lot just listening to you tonight. Um, stuff that I forgot or didn't know um, that will definitely apply. Uh, to well, that's a, scrapes. that's a big thing about this stuff, man. It's <laughs> like, you know, hunting season only comes around every couple years or, I mean, uh, you know, once a year or once whatever. Year. Yeah. And your brain kind of, you forget about, I forget about more stuff every season. I'm like, oh man, duh. You know, like yeah. I forgot about that. Like, so like definitely, you know, for your listeners, consuming this kind of content is um, really good for jogging your memory and like, bringing back stuff you forgot from last year. So that's, uh, uh, yeah, just happy to be a part of it, man. Well, I appreciate it. And Josh, one more time, tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel and your podcast too. Um, so our listeners can check on you. Yeah. Uh, YouTube channel is Buckeye bow hunter. Um, if you're a Turkey hunter, look out for, uh, last spring, uh, the web series roosted it's on the Buckeye bow hunter. Uh, YouTube channel, and then this fall, um, I'm premiering the White Taylor web series on the Buckeye Bill Hunter channel too. So, just go to that channel; you'll be able to watch all that stuff. Um, I got a ton of content on there. It's all self-filmed, um, pretty darn real. I do a lot of uh, uh, kind of gear reviews and stuff like that of things that I kind of believe in or products that I, um, you know, spend my own hard-earned money on. I don't. I'm not sponsored by anything or anything. So the products that I'm doing reviews for are products that I purchased and really believe in. Um, yeah. Uh, the rut to roost podcast that can be listened to on any platform that you listen to podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. So, uh, I do that podcast with uh, a couple of my buddies, Bryce and John, who are, we're all very different in our backgrounds from hunting um, Bryce is a newer bow hunter. Uh, he hunts a lot of public land in Southern Ohio. Uh, John's been hunting for a long time, but he's, he's really into like, uh, you know, TSI property management, timber stand stuff, food plots. He's got some, you know, his own ground, uh, here in Ohio that he, he does all that stuff. So he's really into that stuff. So it's really cool hearing his perspective on things. And then you obviously have me, so. Uh, it's a pretty good dynamic, so it'd be cool to have any of your listeners tune in to us, too. Yeah, so. definitely. Well, and, yeah. and uh, I can tell you, too, for our listeners, uh, if you if you do check out Josh's stuff, you'll find it to be first rate. And uh, he puts the work in, and then the work shows. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, 
Well, thanks again, Josh. We appreciate your time here this evening, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate we, it. We like this season. Let me know how it goes. Yes, definitely. We will for sure. All right. Cool. Take care, Josh. Okay, Josh. We'll see you later. Thank you again. You too, buddy. Thanks for listening to 120 Outdoors and our monthly podcast. Please like, subscribe, and leave us your comments while checking out our Facebook page.